This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Hey, good morning, Trinity. I'm Ronnie Garcia. I figured because you guys are wearing pajamas on your couch, I would shed the bow tie, go casual Ronnie. So uh, I had no idea that when Amanda and I left on vacation that the next time I would be sharing God's word with you, it'd be on YouTube. So that's, that's weird. Uh, but here we are. I um, think especially Jeff, Zach, who have served this church so admirably in my absence, and they love you. Um, so much. So it's a really privilege to be back in the ranks with everyone. Uh, If you'll give me one more minute of pastoral privilege, um, today marks the third birthday of a very special set of twins. Sia Meadow, look at the TV. Pastor Ronnie's talking about you. Happy birthday. I love you. More importantly, your Savior loves you. Happy birthday, sweet girls. All right. Now, if you're a guest uh, who just randomly clicked on. We're so glad to have you. Uh, See, here at Trinity, we like for our lives and our calendars to be ruled by the Lord, not, we don't want to be governed by uh, COVID-19, right? So uh, perhaps you don't know this, but we are right now in the middle of uh, a church season called Lent. Now, Lent is the 40 days prior to Easter, which symbolically imitates uh, when Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, which was um, a time that he used for preparation. So um, we want to use this time for preparation as Easter is nearing. Now, uh, during Lent, it's common for us to pay special attention to the suffering of Jesus so that we can truly experience the, the exhilaration and the joy of Easter, you see. So what we have decided to do here at Trinity is a sermon series on the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. Uh, and, and see, you have to remember, we've said this, when you are under intense stress, all of your filters go away, right? Stress has a way of exposing what is in your heart. And for us, normally we get really nasty. And that makes sense because that's what's in our heart. Now, Jesus While on the cross, he is under the most intense duress of his life. And his filters are gone too. But on the cross, we see Jesus' heart exposed. But what flows out of Jesus, unlike us, is pure life. Even while hanging on the cross. And so what we're doing is each each week we're taking one of the sayings or utterances of Jesus... And we're just sitting in it together. We're meditating on it together. So this morning, we're we're actually going to study two of those utterances because the Apostle John puts them together. And so this morning, we're going to hear Jesus say, I thirst and it is finished. Now, before we get to our passage, let me just say one more thing. In the text that we're going to read this morning, the Apostle John, the author, he's dialing into the events of Jesus' death that prove his kingship, right? And, And here's what I want you to understand, and this is what John is doing in the text. The crucifixion of Jesus is not at all delaying his kingship. The crucifixion is the way that this king rules, 
right? I want you to get this so that you and I can live the life that we were called to enjoy as his subjects, right? This is a different kind of king. So now with with that framework in mind, Jesus says, I thirst and it is finished. So let's now turn our attention to God's word. Now I'm not going to have you stand, uh, but reverently pay close attention to these three verses. This is John 19. It's in your bulletins as well. Starting in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. All right, kids from home, what am I about to say? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Amen. All right. Now, at this section, at this point in John's gospel, uh, Jesus has been beat pretty bad. See, the Romans, they would take these cords and they would put shards of glass on them and they whipped Jesus' bare back 39 times. And how did Jesus respond? See, we learn even as far back as Isaiah 53 how he would respond. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, it says, And Jesus opened not his mouth. And then they took a bunch of thorns and they fashioned those thorns as if they were a crown and they put it and they shoved it into his cranium, right? Just to mock Jesus as if, you know, as a king. And what did, and what did he say? It says, And Jesus opened not his mouth. And then they, of course, mounted a heavy, raw cross, this plank of wood on his shoulders, right? And they forced him to carry the instrument of his own torture. And Jesus opened not his mouth. So Jesus is beaten and bloody, and there's nails in his hands and his feet, and Jesus always remains silent. And so when Jesus elects to break the silence on those few occasions, it is because Jesus is saying something really profound. I thirst. Now, at first glance, he's he's saying the obvious, right? The physical torture is awful. Jesus is thirsty. But listen, there's something more going on here. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Just a few years earlier, Jesus met a woman at the mill, a a woman at the well. Now, you remember her, of course, don't you? She's the one with the five husbands. The one that she's with wasn't even her husband, right? You remember her? Jesus loved that woman so dearly. So he goes up to her, right? He's not practicing social distance. He goes for her and he asks for a drink. He doesn't have any of his own utensils, and she is horrified. Not not just because he wants to drink from her jar, right? He's not worried about COVID-19. She's like startled because he knows everything about her, right? He knows the deep, unrelenting thirst in her soul. He knows about the desert in her heart. So she nervously says, now why are you a Jew asking me, 
a Samaritan woman for a drink, right? And Jesus says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living waters. Why does Jesus talk like this? It's because Jesus has caverns and caverns of living water, an ending supply of living water coursing through his soul. This is a kind of water that can quench the thirstiest heart. But now, fast forward because something has changed. Jesus says, I thirst. Well, what's, what's happening here? Now, the author John, he gives a little bit of an explanation. It says to fulfill the scriptures. See, John knows that Jesus is the new David. This means that he is the king. And he's not just the king of Israel. He's the king of the whole world, right? And do you know how? And do you know how to know? It's because Jesus is fulfilling all of the marks of how kings suffer. See, last week we learned with Jeff... From Psalm 22, the suffering king says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But now the second part of Psalm 22 is coming true also. Right there, we really see it come alive in verses 14 and 15. Let me just read it for you. The the suffering king says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You see, Jesus is thirsty. And do you know why this is spiritually significant? It's because he drank from the cup of suffering and death. Listen, just the night before he was crucified, he's having the Passover meal with his very best friends. Now, if you know anything about the Passover meal, it's just filled with all kinds of symbolism. Every part of the Seder meal is almost like telling a story. Every part means something. So at at this Passover meal, there are these four cups, right? And the fourth cup, no one drinks from that cup, right? Sometimes it's called the cup of praise or the cup of restoration, And the idea is, within the symbolism, what the Jews understood is that when the Messiah comes, he will drink from that cup. So Jesus takes that cup, and he symbolically shows that this cup is now fulfilled. But how? How? In order for the cup to be praise or restoration for us, it means it had to be something different for our Lord. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, later that same night, Jesus, he stays up the whole evening. He knows that his time has come. Jesus, who's under so much stress, he's sweating blood. Right? He asks his father, he says, let this cup pass from me. And the father says, no, Jesus must drink from that cup. Now, everyone listen closely. When Jesus says, I thirst, it is precisely because he drank the cup of judgment, right? 
There's this really peculiar verse in Deuteronomy 28. So God is speaking to the the children of Israel. Uh, He's stipulating curses and blessings in the covenant. And God says to Israel, he says, "If if you do not obey my commandments because of the abundance of all of your bad, I'm going to cast you out and you will thirst. Isn't that a funny thing to say? Thirst is the evidence of God's curse coming upon them. And so what is happening? Jesus is thirsty. Our disobedience is being placed on Jesus. God is abandoning the perfect one. The curse is upon him. And Jesus says for all of us to hear, right, the caverns and caverns of living waters running dry. I thirst. Now, why would he do this? Let's hold on to our answer, and let's think now about the next word that comes from the cross just two verses later. It is finished. Um, Do you guys remember that really, uh, it's kind of a dark book that we were all required to read in high school by Joseph Conrad. It's called uh, Heart of Darkness. Uh, What, you you didn't read that one? Well, let me tell you about it. Uh, So basically, it's a fictional story that chronicles Europe's involvement in Africa at the end of the 19th century. And the book specifically is interested in a man named Mr. Kurtz. He's an ivory trader and an executive in a Belgian trading company who goes deep into the Congo, all right? Now, when the book begins, we learn that Mr. Kurtz, he's a noble guy, right? He isn't, he isn't colonialistic in the ways that people might think he's a good guy, and he just he wants to create economy. He, he convinces, uh, he wants to help the people who are in the Congo. He's, he's really depicted early on as this positive Messiah figure, all right? But with time, the longer that Mr. Kurtz lives deep in the heart of darkness in the Congo, his own dark heart comes out. And we learn that he is the real savage. He actually convinces the Congolese people that he's a demigod and he he makes them worship him, right? He's outrageously greedy. He enslaves the people and he becomes truly awful. Well, at the very end of the book... Mr. Kurtz becomes gravely sick, and on his deathbed, while he is on the brink of death, he looks back at his life, and he says those famous words, and you know these words even if you've never read the book. He says, the horror, the horror, and then Mr. Kurtz breathes his last breath and dies. And the story and reach of Mr. Kurtz's life ends unceremoniously. Now, I'll share with you that illustration because I want you to compare to what we're seeing here in Jesus' life. The deeper that Jesus moves into the heart of man's darkness, the more beautiful his heart shines. And with his last dying words, he doesn't say with regret, the whore, the whore. He says with confidence, it is finished. Now, here's why this is so significant. While the oppression of Mr. Kurtz ends upon his death, life and freedom of Christ's death is just beginning, you see. And so the words, it is finished, do not mean, well, 
that's over, right? I mean, you think of it like an artist who is working on her masterpiece. And, and when she brushes, when her brush makes the last stroke, she says what? It is finished, which means let the delight begin, right? Let's, let's enjoy this thing. Or think of the mechanic who's working on his sports car, and you ask him about it. He turns the last wrench, and he says, it's finished. Now let's drive this hot rod, right? Let the fun begin. Things are just starting. I was actually told that in German, in German Bibles, this word in Greek, the tetelestai, it's actually translated mission accomplished, Right? So upon the death of Jesus, life is now exploding. This is just the beginning. Christ's purpose and what he came to do, which was ordained before the whole foundation of the world, is now complete. But here's what I know about you. You and I are tempted to hear, instead of it is finished, what you interpret this to mean is, Jesus saying, well, I did my part, right? Our default position as strugglers is to think that God is perpetually disappointed with us. Now, listen, if you've wandered off because I've been a little bit too heady, uh, because I used old literature illustrations, or just because I'm on TV, listen, if you're watching me live, listen, I, I, I need you to lock in with me right now. This, if this is the only thing you hear me say, please listen. If a Jewish mother went to the market to buy some bread, right? She would hand the guy some change. He would count up the change and say, it is finished. It is paid for, right? There's no debt. Take the bread and enjoy it. Have a feast, right? Now listen, Jesus hanging on the cross, he does not say, I did my part. He says, it is finished. It is paid for. There's, there's no debt between us. Right? Listen, listen, you guys. You are free. You are forgiven. All your past sins and your present and your future sins. And Jesus does not only say that you're forgiven. He says more than that. He loves you. And not only does he love you. But he likes you, and he doesn't like just some future version of you that's all cleaned up, right? He likes you even now, the annoying, the anxious, the ignorant, present version of you. He's crazy about you. Even in your hypocrisy, God is long-suffering with you. Who does that? Who acts like that? God does, you see. And if you can get that... There is this incredible well of peace and assurance that will, will well up in your heart rivers of living water. It, it's like the heat of God's love melting away your lack of faith. It, it softens all those hard spots in your soul. By faith, if you will give yourself to Jesus who hung on the cross, who says, it is finished then it will establish a righteousness in your soul that's not yours by works, but by faith in the completed work of Jesus. That work that Jesus did was 100% complete. You see how this works? God never regrets saving you. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing, and he said, 
It is finished. I want you to know what these precious words can mean for your life. Because your days will be marked with hills and valleys and ups and downs. But God's love is steady. It stays constant. It's unbreakable. It never moves. And you cannot have a surer foundation to stand on than the finished work of Christ completed on your behalf. Jesus from the cross says, I thirst. Why? Because he drank from the cup of wrath. He drank every last drop of it. And then he put the cup down and he says, it is finished. There's, there's no more wrath. There's, there's no more judgment left to drink. You can't drink from that cup. He drank it all. And then he died. And now you get God's unrelenting love. Trinity, I do pray that COVID-19 would change us, right? I'm praying that it pries our fingers of all the things in our life that have conspired to block us from knowing that love. I want you to have these rivers and caverns of living water running through you. It can be yours if you will let it. May God bless you and keep you.